Today we'll see what Jesus taught the disciples between the interaction with the woman at the well and the great revival at the Samaritans on this edition of Bible Study Podcast. to another edition of Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, and I'm glad to be here with you today. And um, We've got an exciting podcast awaiting us today as we complete the story of the woman at the well with something that kind of doesn't concern the woman that much at all, but we'll talk about that in a moment. But before we get into that, I'd like to remind you that you can always get in touch with me at Bible Study Podcast Justin at gmail.com. I've really enjoyed your emails, and uh, my wife and I would love to pray f- for you, and uh, when you send in your requests and praises, we do just that, so uh, I'd just like to encourage you to keep sending those emails, and again, that address is BibleStudyPodcastJustin at gmail.com. Further, I'd like to ask you all to be in prayer for me, as I've just begun school again for the fall. Um, this semester, I'll be getting into some Greek grammar, and also I'm taking a class on pastoral care, so please be in prayer that I will focus in on what I need to learn, and that, that I'll get the I get the rest and, and the time to think that is necessary to be a student. I really would appreciate it. I'd also like to ask you, just from the outset, to be praying about something else that I would like to propose we do throughout the month of September. That is, I'd like to ask all of you to join in with me to pray for four things in particular, four people in particular, in what I will be calling Mission Grow. Now, the purpose of Mission Grow is for anyone who may be listening to be reminded to pray for four people, a mentor, a protege, a peer, and someone to witness to. Now, if you'd be willing to join with me on this, I, I want to ask that each of you pray that God will lead each of these types of people into your lives. The first to pray for is a mentor. That is, someone who's older than you, someone who's walked the Christian walk, and who will take the time to come alongside you and show you how to follow Christ. The second is a protege, someone whom you can mentor, someone you can show the path of Christianity to. You learn a lot more by teaching, so I I encourage you to pray for someone to teach and guide. The third person to pray for is a peer, you know, a friend that is close enough to you to be brutally honest with you because they love you. You know, we all need someone who loves us enough to tell us the areas we need work in. Finally, we'll be praying for God to lead someone into our lives that we can witness to, someone who needs Christ and comes to us wanting to know how. If we will commit to praying for these things just for a month, I think we will begin to see a massive change in all of our lives. So please consider it and uh, join with me in the month of September to really set ourselves on fire for Christ. With that being said, let's open today's podcast with a word of prayer. Our Father, we calm ourselves down before your majesty and we put aside all the thoughts in our minds that distract us from your kingdom. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit and help us to understand your word so that we may become more like our Lord and Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. 
Now, as we talked about last time, we went ahead and finished out the woman's reaction and the revival that resulted from it last podcast, and we left out the section we'll handle today that's in the middle and deals with the disciples. So we'll pick that back up today in John 4, verses 31 through 38. But before we do that, I, I want to touch briefly on something that I mentioned last week in passing. Some of you probably noticed that I mentioned that I believe this passage is placed here because it is related to the woman at the well's story. Let me explain what I mean. Sometimes in literature we're presented with a story that goes on within a story. Oftentimes these situations are set up as they are because they help to explain one another or they have some kind of common theme. I believe that's exactly what is going on in this passage. While Jesus' discussion with the disciples did take place chronologically between the woman's return to the village and the ensuing revival, I think it is also told to us here because of how it fits the theme. Now, as we saw with the woman, when Jesus spoke to her about the water that he had to give, she seemed confused and thought he was referring to physical water, the water she had come to draw from the well. Her thoughts were on the material world that was around her, not the spiritual comparisons that Christ was making to her. In much the same way, we will see that the disciples are also confused about Jesus' object lesson in the beginning. But much as the woman's story showed, they are able to understand it, and it changed them. Now, we'll see this later in the conclusion, but just remember the comparison as we go through the passage today. So let's begin with a look at the passage, starting with verses 31 to 33. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Now remember back to when we started this story that Jesus was originally stopped on the side of the well because he was tired. You know, he apparently was famished. So it makes sense that the disciples' first instinct upon arriving back from town was to look out for their teacher's well-being and, and provide him with food. But Jesus shoots back an answer to the men, which kind of threw him off a little bit. He said, I have food to eat that you have no idea about. What a strange answer. In fact, the disciples just went ahead and assumed that he meant someone had already brought him food, that there was some other source that they didn't know about. Now, one can almost chuckle as he contemplates the disciples, you know, these committed followers of Christ, frantically looking around and asking among themselves, Did you bring him food? Did somebody else bring him food? Is there somebody else following us that we don't know about? Why didn't we get a shot at bringing him food? You know, it seems almost comical to think of the reactions that must have gone on. But their response was off, because their understanding of what he was saying was off. So let's continue on, and we'll see what I mean. Verse 34 says, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Here Jesus begins to explain what he was saying. He tells them that my food is to do the will of the Father, the one who sent me, and to carry out his work. Now this is not to say that Jesus did not need to eat, nor does it say anything about what we should eat. Rather, he's explaining the simile being used here, that the thing that drives him, the thing that energizes him, that which sets him going, which provides sustenance for his soul, is doing the will of the Father. It's carrying out God's work. 
That's what drives Christ. That's what makes him tick. He does what he does because this is his very lifeblood. This is the thing which makes him go. Now let me ask you a question here. Is doing the will of the Father what drives you? Does it make you froth at the mouth to accomplish the work of God? Have you actually thought about what God's will and works are? Well, before we get too convicting here, let's move on to verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Now, Jesus begins by quoting something that was probably an old farmer's proverb, you know, maybe some bit of country knowledge, asking them if they don't say, there are yet four months, and then comes a harvest. Now, what this is talking about is, is kind of the proverb for farmers that you'd go out, you plant your seeds, and then you wait four months. You have to wait for the seed to grow, and, and after four months' time, the field should be ripe. It should be ready for harvest. However, Jesus is talking about a whole different kind of harvest here. He tells them to lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white with harvest. In other words, wake up. Look around you. The seeds of faith that have been planted in the lives of men are ripe. They're ready to be harvested. Now one can only imagine the disciples' reaction as they hear Jesus say this and kind of look down and see the people of Samaria beginning to come up to them. Indeed, this is very reminiscent of our own generation. The fields are many. The seeds are ripe. But we need Christians to wake up. Look around you. See where you need to reap. Now Jesus takes this occasion to stop and make a point about the role of a disciple. His job is not only to be a reaper, as we shall see. So let's read on to verses 36 through 38. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So Jesus tells them that those who reap, that is, those of you who are leading people to Christ now, they're already doing it. They're already receiving their wages. They're picking the fruit off the vine. That person is out gathering fruit for life eternal. In other words, there are those who are out reaping and setting up treasures for themselves now in heaven. But in so doing, the one who reaps is not just bringing joy to themselves, but also to the one who had sown the seed. Basically, Jesus is saying that when someone leads one to Christ, he will rejoice then, but the one who initially planted the seed in the heart of that person's life, he will rejoice also. It's a joint effort. It's not as if the sower can do it alone, and it's not as if the reaper can do it alone. The reaper is simply entering into the sower's work. And so they must work together in order for the sinner to come to Christ. Jesus reminds the disciples of this as he says, It's true that one sows and one reaps. In fact, I sent you out to reap that which you didn't plant. Others have already been out there laying the groundwork for you, and you have just entered into their work. Now I think this is also a reference to the prophets and John the Baptist in this specific context. As the disciples are now bringing people to the complete knowledge of the Savior. Knowledge that was begun by the prophecies of old and of John. 
However, I think there's also a principle here that should be taken in our lives as well. We must remember that it's not us alone that takes someone to Christ. It is not as if we should stand and boast that we have led this many people to Christ. Because the fact of the matter is there are two things that we have not considered. The first is what is mentioned here by Christ. There have been other people who have gone before us. They planted seeds in people's lives. They prepared their hearts to the gospel, and they have let it enter into their lives. But most importantly, I, I think what makes this whole analogy of the farmer tick is that we can't control the growth of the seed. Only God determines how the seed grows. All we can do is sow the seed and reap the harvest. In other words, we didn't make anyone a Christian. We simply prepared their hearts, and we showed them the way to Christ. It is God who calls sinners unto himself. It is God who makes their hearts ready. It's God who convicts them of their sin. It's not our job to make sure that everyone we meet becomes a Christian or else. That's a matter between them and God. No, it's our job to present the saving grace of Christ to others, to show them their need for the gospel, and let God do the rest. So I encourage you, in that frame of mind, to do just that. Share your faith. Plant a seed. If someone asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, be prepared to give them an answer so that they may also know the Savior who died for them. Now, as we mentioned earlier, I, I believe the disciples' interaction with Jesus parallels the woman's interaction. But there seems to be an area that isn't covered here. We saw with the woman that once she realized who Jesus was, her life was changed, and she went and led the town to Christ. But what about the disciples? We don't really see anything about how their story is complete in this passage, or do we? You see, I think the conclusion is quite obviously if we look in the following passage. For Christ told them to look around, the harvest is ripe. I believe the result of the disciples' interaction with Christ is shown in the fact that the people of the town came to Jesus, and many believed. Who do you think was there to show them how to believe? You got it. The disciples. You see, friends, as we close today, I want to remind you of something and encourage you about it. Our task is not to make people Christians. We can't force someone to follow Christ. Now our task is to be available so that when someone who is called, who is convicted by the Holy Spirit about the sin in their lives, when they come to you and they ask you for help, you can tell them, let me show you to Christ. Let me introduce you to the Savior. Our task is to plant seeds, is to be the best neighbor, the best businessman, the best shopper, the best whatever it is you may be doing, so that when people see your good works, they will praise your Father in heaven. Our task is to do our best to show love to those around us so that we can plant the seed of God's love into a person's life. God will grow the seed however he desires. It may take an hour. It may take years. But no matter how long it takes, that's not the point. The whole matter is in God's hand. Our task is simply to take pleasure in what Jesus called his very food, his sustenance, to do the will of the Father to accomplish his work well that's all for today so join us next time as we'll move into the last section of John 4 and 
Stay tuned as we hear another tune from our friend Marcus Bradley. Thanks a lot, and uh, until we meet again, may God bless and keep you. Living home.